Now, I was talking with somebody during the greet time. I was like, you know, I'm glad that I go to a church that when the, when the band leaves the stage, there's empty Gatorade bottles and 14 water bottles and coffee cups, right? We, I want to go to a church where the band's expecting to be thirsty when they're done with a worship set. You with me? Come on. Not two hymns and a kneel and a sit and we're done, right? We're glad you're here tonight. And uh, wow, graduation weekend has, has, has swept our people away. Sorry, right, it's their loss. That's what I say. No, come on. No, it's an exciting weekend. Can you? I don't want to think about my kids being old enough to graduate from high school. I'll just start crying right here. I won't even get through the service. It's a big weekend for families in our church that young people are grad. Last weekend, how great was that? Having all those seniors across the front and praying over them and having those gifts that we were able to give to them. It was fantastic. Fantastic. All right, I want to open with this, this joke here. We're going to have some fun tonight. You ready to have a good time? We like to have a good time here at the City Life Church. All right, here we go. I'm going to leave out the denomination name because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings tonight. But we'll just say a theologically conservative preacher and his wife decided to get a new dog. Ever mindful of the congregation, they do, knew the dog must also be of their denomination. So they visited kennel after kennel after kennel and explained their needs. And finally they found a kennel whose owner assured them he had just the dog that they wanted. The owner bought the dog to meet the pastor and his wife. So the owner says, right, they got to test it out. Fetch the Bible, he commanded. The dog bounded to the bookshelf, scrutinized the books, located the Bible, and brought it to the owner. I know some of you who are pet lovers, right? You're saying, oh, my dog could do that, right? Because you lie about the things your pets can do because you love them so much. All right, now he says, now find Psalm 23, he commanded. The dog placed the Bible on the floor and showing marvelous dexterity with his paws, leafed through finding the correct passage and pointed to it with his paw. The pastor and his wife were overjoyed, impressed. They purchased the dog on the spot. That evening, a group of church members came to visit, and the pastor and his wife began to show off the dog, having him locate several Bible verses. The visitors were very impressed, and one man said, can the dog just do regular dog tricks too? The pastor said, I don't know. I haven't tried yet. So he pointed his finger at the dog and he, and he said, heal. And that dog immediately jumped up on a chair, placed one paw on the pastor's forehead and began to howl as loud as he could. And the pastor looked at his wife in the room and said, good Lord, he's Pentecostal. <laughs> Isn't that great? Have you ever heard that before? Oh, I laugh every time I read that thing. Come on, why am I sharing that with you? Because th this whole series that we've been in, and I think we're going to just keep digging around in this thing throughout the summer. It's called 50-Day People. What does it mean to be a Pentecostal church in a modern-day world? So we've been trying to debunk some myths. We've been talking about a lot of the excesses and the eccentricities that we often see. They've had nothing to do with God. They've just had to do with the eccentricities and the excesses of people. And so we've been working through some of that together. And, and we are a proudly Pentecostal church, but we want to help people understand what does it mean when we say that. So for our giveaway, for our giveaway tonight, a $10 iTunes card, the first person I see, what's the verse of Scripture that we have used every week since we've been in this series? I want the book and the chapter and the verse that we've used every week to say this is the verse that defines for us what it means to be Pentecostal. I see some note takers furiously. Jonathan Adams, nice. 
Mark 10, 27. Nice, nice. Come on. So, you know, Jonathan got baptized on, uh, on, on Sunday, and he, he came out into the water with a New York Giants hat on. You know, I'm a Redskins fan. So I said, I, I cannot baptize you with that hat on. I can't. I, I will not do it. Right? No, I'm just kidding. But I did, begrudgingly. I held him under for a little bit longer, hoping the hat would fall off and get swept away with a tie. But he had that thing on tight. He had it on tight. So this is, this is the verse, Mark 10, 27. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, everything is possible with him. And if you've been reading through the Bible with us in a year, you know we've been digging around in Job. That's where the, the schedule has us. And I came across this one recently. This is Job 9:10. This is a great pairing for this verse in Mark. This is what it says. He, speaking of God, he does great things too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. That's what we believe about God. If there's, if there's ever a verse that we could hitch our theological wagon to as a Pentecostal congregation, it's this. And so this is the definition. So if you call the City Life Church your home and someone were to ask you at some point in the future, what, what, when your church says that it's a Pentecostal church, what does it mean? That you're going to know this by the end of the series. You're just going to be able to say it. That we have an unshakable belief that God still makes the impossible possible. We have an unshakable belief that God still makes the impossible possible. We believe that the God that we read about in this book is the God who is alive and well and at work in our lives today, even in impossible situations. Not just believing that he can, but believing that he will, and not just believing that he will for others, but he will for you and he will for me. And so we opened the series just to kind of catch people up. We, we dug around a little bit in Acts 2, 41 through 47, and we talked about the 10 impossibilities of the early church, of the very first Pentecostal church. You can get that on the podcast, why it's called, right? Because the church was birthed during the Feast of Pentecost. And so the church was experiencing impossible growth, loyalty, community, prayer, power, generosity, service, gathering, worship, and favor, the 10 impossibilities. They were experiencing all of these things to such a degree it was causing everybody from the outside looking in to say, how is that even possible? And so we did impossible gathering. We talked, we spent a couple of weeks on impossible power. Tonight we're going to talk about impossible generosity. We're going to take a break next week from the series because it's Father's Day weekend. Let me say, it's Father's Day weekend. If you haven't got your cards and your gifts for us fathers yet, it's next weekend is Father's Day weekend. But you're in for a treat because Dean Nowatney, Amanda's dad, Nate's dad, is going to be preaching here, here at this campus and here at the Williamsburg campus. It is going to be a pow I'm telling you, a powerful weekend for us. We're going to be having an adult conversation with each other again on Father's Day weekend. Remember we had one of those together as a church when we did the We Won't Back Down series. We did overeating, overspending. We did oversexing. And so we gave people a heads up before we got to that weekend. If, if, if you're inviting people that have young children, make sure they're prepared to go into child care because we don't want middle school and up. We want in the room. You with me? Middle school and up. Middle school, they're old enough. If, if, you've not, if you have middle school-aged children and you've not already started your sexuality conversation with them, you're behind the curve because somebody else has already started the conversation with them. And as parents, we need to be leading that conversation. So we're going to be having a great conversation. I'm telling you, it is going to be a powerful weekend. You do not want to miss Father's Day weekend next weekend. Dina Watney, it's going to be so good. And then we're going to pick up with a series, and I think we're just going to stay in it. We're going to pick up some of those others on that list. 
Acts 2.25 kind of is our springboard for what we're talking about tonight for impossible generosity. And we're not suggesting that Christians created generosity. We're not saying that, right? There's been generosity in history from the beginning of time. What we are saying is what was shocking to people from the outside looking in in the first century was the impossible degree of generosity Christians demonstrated toward their church. People weren't surprised and in shock and in awe that people could be generous. They've, been, they've seen people be generous their whole lives. What they were shocked at, what they were in awe, is that how could people be that generous towards this spiritual family? They weren't called the church yet. That didn't come later, right? But this group of people, it wasn't even called Christianity yet. It was called the way. It wasn't called Christianity until sometime later in Antioch, and it was a derogatory term. It was a, it was a, it was one, it was a word that they used in a derogatory way. It was just called the way. Way, originally, the way of Jesus, the way. The, 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 the people of the way, how could they be so generous to one another to invest in the mission that they have given their lives to? And it still should be that way today. It should still be our, the world should stand in awe of the generosity of people who call a church home towards that church that they call their house. So we're going to work through these four questions together tonight. What is tithing? Did Jesus endorse tithing? We're going to talk about this, why this, we, we jump to this word tithing. I'm going to cover that right out of the gate. What is promised from tithing? And is tithing enough? Meaning that if you're practicing tithing, does God have any other expectation of financial generosity coming out of your life? All right, you ready? All right, here we go. Hey, we always put the notes from the sermon on the website each week so that if you're a note taker and we push through a slide quicker than what you'd prefer, you can download those notes off the documents portion of the website. So what is tithing? What is tithing? That's the first question we want to unpack. Is my generosity registering in God's heart enough to generate a tithe response? So I was listening to a piece on the radio this week. So I was driving around, and it was a study that has been done on the Venus flytrap. I'm sure, right, that was taxpayers, millions of taxpayer dollars that we, that we paid for to see those, that research done. But it was worth it for this one because it's going to be a great illustration for us tonight. If there was ever tax dollars that were well spent, it was for the study for the Venus flytrap. What they realized is that they couldn't figure out at first why sometimes everybody knows what the Venus flytrap is, right, with the big teeth on it, and, and it, you know, it closes. It, 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 I love that it's a plant that's a carnivore because even a vegetable needs some meat every now and again. You with me? Come on. Come on. And so, 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 so what, they, what they were surprised at, why did sometimes it didn't close? Why, why did, you know, why, if, if a raindrop fell in there or, or you know, what, there, was, there was something about it. And what they realized is that there's all these microscopic sensories in there and that a certain number of sensories and a certain number of, and a certain pattern has to be triggered before it will actually close that distinguishes a live animal being in there. God programmed into this thing the ability to distinguish between a fly or an ant or just a breeze and a water droplet. It's powerful. The genius of creation just declares the existence of a God so that it knows, because, right, it doesn't see, it doesn't have eyes. It knows when there's food and when there's not. And when there's food, it, there's something inside of it. All those little hairs are triggered in the right way, and it closes, and it's able to consume that food to nourish itself. It's a powerful illustration for us because, as we're going to see tonight, tithing has a very specific definition in Scripture. And every act of material generosity that flows from our lives is going to elicit a response because of the principle of reciprocity. That's another sermon for another night. Just the principle of reciprocity that we see all throughout Scripture that we reap what we sow. 
right? It's Galatians 6. Don't grow weary of doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest. Every act of generosity, every act of kindness, right? There's the, you reap what you sow, there's reciprocity. But the Bible says there's something called tithing. And when, we be, when our generosity reaches the criteria of tithing, it elicits a response from God that's different from any other response that he has to any other moment of material generosity. And so we want to be a church that helps you understand so that you can walk in the favor and the blessing that God wants to give to you as a response of a tithe. But if your giving has not reached that place and fulfilled this criteria, come on, then you're not going to move God's heart. Does that make sense? All right. So let's talk about what it is. I believe that there are three. In order for material generosity to rise to the level of what the Bible calls a tithe, it has to be percentage driven, has to be priority based, and it has to be local church directed. It's got to meet those three criteria. Again, it may be a, a, a generous gift and you're going to benefit from the law of reciprocity, but if it's going to elicit a tithe response from God's heart, we're going to talk about that, what that response looks like in a little while. It's got to meet these three criteria. So Luke 21, 1 through 4, if you've got your Bible. Luke 21, 1 through 4. It says, he looked up and he saw the, the rich man dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. And he also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all of these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all that she had to live on. It's a powerful text for us. People coming to the temple to practice the Old Testament practice. We're going to talk about why it's still a practice today. This Old Testament practice of tithing, giving a, a, a gift out of their income. And right here, Jesus lays down a very important principle. It does not matter how big the gift is. What matters is what percentage is that gift based upon the wealth that's at your disposal. It's powerful, isn't it? That God is saying, we don't know how much this other person put in, but, but Jesus leads us to believe that he put in an enormous gift. And God says, right? Because Jesus is God. God says, hey, that gift has elicited no kind of response from my heart because of the percentage that it represents of his total wealth. And so often in life and in church, and leaders suffer from it too, right? They, they see a big check and a big gift. Our heart should be moved based on the percentage that it represents of the person that's doing the giving. If it's going to rise to the level of the definition of a tithe. We're not saying that no gift, right? Again, reciprocity is always at work, but if it's going to rise to the level of a tithe, it has to meet a certain percentage. And the name itself gives us the percentage. It's right there in scripture. Tithe means a tenth part. So Jesus is saying that there is a practice of giving that is unlike all the other kinds of giving that the, we see in the beginning of the Bible all the way through the early church through the New Testament that people set aside a tenth, a tenth of their gross annual income to give to the church that they called home. So for you, that might be a small number. For somebody else, it might be a big number. It's not the amount that's given that matters to God is it does it represent the percentage that he's asked of you. It needs to be priority based. Listen to this. This is my favorite book on giving that I've ever read. It's by Robert Morris. It's a blessed life. We read out of this often here at the City Life Church. Robert Morris, The Blessed Life. Listen to what he says. Wow, I need my glasses. Dr. Kearney. Is Dr. Kearney in here? There she is. Yeah. She took good care of me. 
The first belongs to God. We find this principle all through God's Word. We can give God the first of our time. We can give Him the first of our finances. That's what tithing really is, giving our first to God. It's saying, God, I'm going to give to you first and trust you to redeem the rest. Put another way, and he goes on to explain some of the Old Testament practices. When a firstborn lamb is born in a flock, it is not possible to know how many more lambs that you might produce. Nevertheless, God didn't say, let your you produce nine lambs first and give me the next one. No, God says, give me the first one. It always requires faith to give first. That's why so few, listen to what he says, it's powerful. That's why so few Christians experience the blessing of tithing. They experience the blessing of reciprocity, but they do not experience the blessing of tithing. It means giving to God before you see if you're going to have enough. By tithing, it is as if we're saying to God, I recognize you first and I'm putting you first in my life and I trust you to take care of the rest of the things in my life. That's why tithing is so important. It is the primary way we acknowledge that God is first. The first portion is the redemptive portion. In other words, when the first portion is given to God, the rest is redeemed. You know, one of the things that I love about my journey in life is that I spent 10 years right where you're sitting before I crossed over into vocational ministry in 1999. And it gave me the opportunity to be just as excited about tithing sitting in your chair as I am in this pulpit. Right? Because it's easy to come into a service like this and say, you know, it's a self-serving message for the pastor to, to teach. We, we don't, we're not going to preach self-serving messages from the pulpit. We want to preach God-serving messages from the pulpit, that, that we're living out the things that we're talking to you about. And when it comes to giving, there's a, there's a liberty that I have in my life to talk about this thing because I'm so grateful that God let me not do what I'm doing now for the first 10 years of my Christian life. So I got to be just as extravagant about my passion in giving then as I am today. And I'm telling you, there is something about this principle that, that many of you, you've not quite stepped into. And I'm telling you, if you'll give yourself to it, oh, the work that you'll begin to see God do in your life and your finances. It needs to be local church directed. It needs to be percentage driven, priority based, and local church directed. If you have a Bible that has maps in the back of it, as you turn to those maps, you'll find that there's a color-coded portion where all the different tribes of Israel are broken out in the land of the inheritance that was given to them. And as you match that list to the sons of, of Jacob, right, you're going to find that Levi is missing. The Levites didn't have a land inheritance. And as you study the Old Testament, you realize that God said to them, no, your inheritance is not going to be land. Your inheritance is going to be the privilege and the responsibility that you have to serve the people of the land that you live in. And then I'm going to make sure that they set aside a portion of their earnings so that the spiritual needs of the community can be met. It's the same principle that carries forward into the church that we saw practice in the New Testament. That they wanted to make sure that there were people that had time to devote to meet the spiritual needs of the people in the land. And it's the same practice that we do today. And it's why we see in the New Testament, it's why we see in the early church that even then, they began, even though they walked away from so much of the Mosaic Law, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, they kept this one in because they knew that they wanted there to be a means and a stream of resources for the church to be able to do the work that God had called them to do. What we find in Acts is a church community putting into practice all the principles of giving from Jewish culture, but to a degree that far surpassed the Mosaic Law. People that want to say that tithing is an Old Testament practice, I'm okay with it if they want to say that. But if they want to say that, then they've got to be willing to embrace that everything else that moved from the Old Testament to the New Testament fell into only one of three categories. 
Everything that you read about in the Old Testament, the, the first question we ask is, is it something that we're supposed to lay down forever? We don't do animal sacrifices here at the City Life Church, right? We don't, we don't do that. Even though some of you who aren't pet lovers might enjoy that, we don't do animal sacrifices here at the City Life Church. That's something that was completely left behind. So we see things in the Old Testament that were left behind. We see things in the Old Testament that carry forward just as they were then, thousands of years ago. It's the same today, the Ten Commandments, right? You can't improve on the Ten Commandments. The same as they were then, the same as they are today. There's only one more option. There's only one more option. In some instances, Jesus raised the bar. He raised the bar. It's on the Sermon on the Mount, right? He says, no, 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 no. If you lust and fantasize about that person, in God's eyes, you've already committed adultery. He raised the bar. Everything from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it was either abandoned completely, remained the same, or the bar was raised. So if you want to be a person that says, I'm not sure I believe, I'm okay with that, that either means that you have to say, we don't believe in giving ever to the church, or you should at least give at the 10% mark that they gave, or you have to give more. Those are your three choices. Everything else in Christianity, as it evolved out of Judaism, it falls into one of those three categories. We can never use grace to justify living less. We cannot, we cannot do it. We cannot do it. All right, did Jesus endorse tithing? So we talked a little bit about what tithing is, right? 10% of our gross annual revenue that we give to the church that we call home. So did Jesus endorse tithing? Matthew 23, 23, it's right here. Jesus knew that people were going to be asking this question, so he put it right here in this teaching. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice and mercy and faith. What's he saying? That Christianity is more than just tithing. But he goes on to say, but never forget that tithing is supposed to be a part of it. Listen to what he says. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Right here, he gives his stamp of approval. This should always be a part of your life. I'm just going to give you a synopsis of these two. We're going to be throwing some things out in the sermon to, to give you some opportunity for study on your own. But in Genesis 14, 17 through 24, it's the story, right? It's before Moses. Both of these stories are before the Mosaic law. We see the practice and the principle of the tithe happening early on in Scripture. This is where where uh, Abraham's name hasn't been changed yet. It's Abram, and Lot is, is, uh, is, is captured from, from Sodom, right? He's swept away by a king, and, and, and Abram gathers up 318 warriors. That's why we call our service flyer the 318 service flyer. We're saying it takes all of us together to come on, to go out and do the work, to rescue the people in our community that, that need to have a revelation of Christ. So he gathers 318 warriors together, I'm not sure why the, the, the king and, right, in Greek mythology, right, the 300, right, they all died, but yet he gets all the fame. Abraham, he went with him, so he had 18 more, but not one of his people were died. Not one died. Abraham should get all the credit. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. They defeated five kings. None of their people died. They brought back all that had been stolen, all that had been lost, and he gives a tenth of everything that he gathered, everything. He gives a tenth of it to Melchizedek, who was the priest of the land. Now, it's powerful as you read in the story because it says that, that the king of Sodom says to Abraham, hey, hey, I, I want you to just give me back the people, but you can keep the possessions that you got. But as you read the order of the text, it says that he gave a tenth of everything that he gathered 
of everything that he gathered. And most of everything he gathered belonged to this other king. It's interesting, isn't it? He didn't divide up to the other kings first and then gave a tenth of what was remaining for him. It's a, it's a powerful point in the story. It's a powerful point in the story. Because I think what God is saying to us, hey, you can either give me the tenth that I'm asking for and get the blessing that I want to give to you in turn, or you can say no to me like the king of Sodom did, and then I'm going to take what you got. I'm going to give it to somebody else who will give to me what I'm asking and you're going to get a portion of what you have back, but you're going to miss out on the blessing. He just lays it out there. As we walk through this life, we have a choice. We can give with a cheerful heart to the things that God is asking of our lives and get his abundant blessing in turn, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. Or we can say no to him, but because he's the sovereign creator of the universe, he says, well, it's going to come from your hand one way or another. Why won't you let it come and be blessed in turn? Genesis 28, 18 through 22, here we see Jacob at Bethel. He makes a promise to God. From this point on, I'll give you a tenth of everything that I earn for the rest of my life. It's important that we see that, that as we walk through this life as followers of Christ, Jesus wants us to understand that there is favor and blessing that God is going to give to us because he's a loving father. But then he says there's this other world of favor and blessing that's conditional. And he, he just lays out the steps for us. And when I get to heaven, I want that to be an empty pile because I lived well, because I triggered God's heart to release those things into my life. And we want that to be your story because you came to the City Life Church. So what's promise from tithing? What does he say? What's, what's promise from tithing? Malachi 3, 7 through 12. If you got your Bible, you can turn there. Malachi 3, Malachi 3, 7 through 12. Since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And then God says, but you ask, how can we return? Right? Because he's saying to them, because he knows their heart. They're saying, God, we've not left you. And listen to what God says. In verse 8, he says, will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? You ask, how do you rob me? By not making the payments of 10% and the contributions you are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full 10% into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. It is the only time in all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that God says, test me. The only time. And he connects it to giving. Test me in this. And see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. It is, the, it is the biggest promise. It is the biggest promise of blessing materially in the Bible that is given to us. And it is directly connected to our practicing the tithe. But listen to what he goes on to say. He doesn't connect this to anything else except tithing. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your ground and your vine in the field will not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. And then he says, then all the nation, that's the whole nation. So all the people that are godly and ungodly are blessed alike because of the, of the people of God being obedient. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Those are three huge promises that he gives to us that he does not connect to anything else except this practice of tithing. That there is an open heaven of material blessing that he wants to give to us 
if it's, we're going to trigger it in his heart by being the giver that we defined earlier. And then he says, in addition to that, that he's going to rebuke the devourer. So we believe, it's another sermon for another time, that there are evil spiritual forces at work in the world. And, and he names one of here, the, the, the devourer, that, that there are those that are assigned, they have one assignment, and that is to devour the material resources of the people of God. God has an enemy at work in the world that is trying to thwart the building of his kingdom and the proclamation of the gospel to the world. So the Bible talks so much about standing. Paul talks about spiritual warfare. Paul talks about putting on the whole armor of God. Paul the, the, right, talks about contending. There's a part, it's one of the reasons why we're going to pray. It's one of the reasons why for the next prayer uh, service, we're not going to gather here. We're going to have a prayer service that's coming up in a month or so that we're going to meet in about five different homes all throughout this region, right? Because we want to contend in a spiritual realm for the message of the gospel to go forth and pierce people's hearts. God says there's a blessing, there's protection, and then he goes on to say that there's a blessing that will come to the entire land if only my people would just do what they're supposed to do. We don't like to talk about that as a church, do we? I'm just asking the question, how would our country, how would our nation be different if 100% of the people who declare Jesus as Lord practice the principle of tithing in the church that they call home? I'm just asking the question. We like to blame this party. We like to blame these leaders. And God looks at you and me just like he looked at the nation of Israel and Malachi. Stop looking at them. Start looking at yourself. If you would only be faithful in all these things that I'm asking you to do, you would live in a different country. You'd live in a different land. Come on. It's true for us. There's another one there, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. You, you can study through that. That's another homework text we want to throw out to you that just speaks of the favor and the blessing of God that's connected to this level of giving like nothing else. So I was talking to my uncle not too long ago. It's my, uh, uh, my, my mom's brother. And uh, we grew up out in the country in this little town called Verina, east of Richmond. And, and my grandfather, my, my mom's dad, was a, a carpenter by trade. He was a builder. And when he, when he retired, he bought a tugboat and worked on the James River. And so Lone Star, I don't even know if it's still the name, but that's the name of the company. They sell gravel and sand to, to, uh, to, uh, to builders and, you know, in, in large quantities. And so he had such a good relationship with the owner of that company. He had a key to the gate. They had a, 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 a filling station down by the river. And so he just had a key. He could go in and get sand and gravel whenever, whenever he wanted it. And so he told his, his son, my uncle, Uncle Butch, he was a teenager then. He gave him the key and said, I want you to go down and fill the truck up with some sand. We need some sand. But my uncle noticed that he had kind of a smirk on his face, right? And then he didn't know what that was about. And, and so he drives there. It's the first time he's ever gone by himself and operated the machinery. He opens the gate, pulls in. He, right, there's this huge right funnel with a lever attached. And you pull this lever and you park under right, this huge thing and it just dumps the sand right into your, into your truck. And then you close it when you're done and you drive away. So my uncle grabs a hold of this lever, right? And he's saying, this thing's pretty, pretty heavy. And so he pulls it, true story, he pulls it back. And before he can even think about pushing it in the other direction, the truck is completely buried in sand. Completely buried in sand, right? So finally he gets the lever pushed back in the other direction. And he spent the whole rest of the afternoon digging the truck out from the sand just so he could drive home with the truck bed full of sand that his father wanted. And so when he pulled, he said, you know, we call him Papa, was just laughing and laughing and laughing because he knew exactly what was going to happen to his son. It's a powerful story, isn't it? I want to live the rest of my life in such a way that I am just digging out from the favor of God. 
I want to live my life in such a way where I'm looking for a shovel to dig my way out of the favor of God. And he says right here in this book, let me lay out the steps. If you will just give yourself to these things and open heaven over your life, in over your head. I want to be in over my head with the blessings of God. All right, this is our last one is tithing enough. It's tithing enough. So let's say tonight you commit yourself. And it might be that you say, Fred, what you're talking about, this idea of 10%, there's no way I could start doing that tomorrow. That's okay. Pick a percentage, two, three, four, five. Pick a percentage and start there. And when you get to 10, don't stop. Just keep going. Just keep going. It's, it's percentage-based, right? It's, it's, it's priority and it's local church directed. But tithing is not the only kind of giving that the Bible talks about. It's important that we, that we don't adopt this mindset mentality that says, well, because I'm tithing, I don't have to do anything else. And I want to touch on a couple of them here in 1 Chronicles 29, 3 through 11. I'm just going to read the first few verses, but it says, Moreover, because of my delight and the house of my God, I now give it, this is David, of my personal treasures of gold and silver for the house of my God over and above all that I provided for the holy house. So above and beyond his principle and practice of tithing. He said, I'm going to give above and beyond that for this project. What's the project? It's the building of the temple. Is he going to build a temple? No. His son Solomon is called to build the temple. But he says, I'm going to lead the initiative for raising the money to build something that I'm not even going to benefit from because I want to invest in the next generation. It's a powerful story laying out a principle for us. And then it says, then the leaders of the household, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and hundreds and officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. And as you begin to read through those verses there, I hope you read through them this week, you begin to hear some just impossible amounts of wealth that were poured into this project. One of the ways that God calls us to give above and beyond our tithe is to give to build something that's going to serve a future generation. I don't know about you, but I believe in the generation that's coming behind me. Pastor Justin and Stephanie, the work that they're doing with their young people, absolutely amazing. And there should be something inside. We do not want to rent here for the rest of our lives. We are believing God that he has a home for us, even though we're going to do it in partnership with other churches in the area. We're going to replicate what's happening here somewhere else. We know that there's a place that we need to establish, a geographic identity that we can call our own, that we can call home, not just for ourselves, but for the generations that come behind us. We want to set them up for success to fulfill their destiny. I was in a Hardee's not too long ago, and this elderly group sitting at a table drinking coffee across the way. It was everything that I could do to keep my mouth shut. But I exercised great self-control that day. You'd have been proud of me. And there was this one guy. He was crotchety. And this is literally what he was saying. I called Vanessa on the way home. You would not believe the conversation I just overheard. This is what he was saying. It's all this building nurseries and Playground equipment for kids and youth centers. What are they, what are they doing for us? Right? Just on and on and on. And I'm thinking, I need to get out of here because a tornado is going to sweep through and just gather this whole place up. Or bears are going to come in, like right the Old Testament, and eat all that. He was just angry and bitter, and he just had a whole list. Whatever church he was going to was in some building program for the kids. And he was just angry. And I thought to myself, has he ever read First Chronicles 29? He should have been the one standing up in front of that church saying, even though I'm not ever going to live to see it, I want to give of what I have for the generation that's coming behind me. Because you know what he forgot? 
that the generation that was before him, that's what they did for him. That's what they did for him. There's got to be something inside of us that says, Fred, I want to be a part of a church that not only can I not wait to give my tithe to the work of the ministry, but I want to go to a church too where there's an opportunity to give even beyond that, building something for the future, for future generations. This is the other one I want to give you too. We're called to give of our resources to the work of missions around the world. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. He goes on to explain that they literally begged Paul to let them sow into his mission's work. And it says, he, he puts this phrase in there that they had already given with generosity to the work of the Lord. That was Paul's way of saying, hey, they weren't doing this instead of their tithe to their home church. It's an important distinction right here in the text. He says, they gave to the work of the Lord. And then he says, and then beyond that, they wanted to give to our work and our ministry and missions. I want to go to a church. I want to be a part of a church where there is an opportunity for us to give of what we have to see the work of missions and the message of the gospel carried around the world. Come on, Don and Christy Ladder here tonight, the missionaries we support from Peru. Come on, you should give them a hand. Come on. We couldn't have timed it better that they were going to be here. That was, we're not good enough to work all those details out, right? That's just God working it out on our behalf. So here they are right here visiting with us in town on the night we're talking about this. They were one of two missionaries as a church that we took on for monthly support for the first time in the history of the church this year. It was a big step for us. It was a big step. We want to see that too come on, grow to 20, to 40, to 400, to pages and pages of missionaries that one day we're going to support as a church that we send out. All Some of you are going to be on that. Come on. Some of you, God's going to call you to go out into the world, and we're going to have the privilege of sending you there. I want to be a part of a church that says, I want to give my tithe, my 10% to the work of the church that I call home, but then I want to also just begin to give liberally. I want to be such a generous person that it is as though I'm living 2,000 years ago, and just as people from the outside looking in looked at the New Testament church, they're going to look at us today and say, how is it even possible that you can be that generous with what you have? How can it be? So I'm going to invite the band to come back up because we want to do a song together. You might notice there have been some cards up here. We like to create a little curiosity at the City Life Church. Huh? Anybody been wondering what these cards are? These are our faith promise cards. Faith promise is a simple concept. And what we're going to be asking everybody to do for the rest of this month is you're going to open up a conversation with God. And he's going to give you a number just in your time of prayer. If you're a married couple, we want you to get one card together. Don't get one for each of you. One card per house. And then as a family, you're going to begin to ask God a question. God, what's the number that you want to speak to my heart? And I'm going to believe by faith that you're going to provide that number to me somehow, some way. And I promise that when you do, I'm going to give it to this initiative. See? That's why it's called Faith Promise. We've been doing Faith Promise at the church that we came from. I was at that church for 17 years. I'm telling you, stories that came out of that church of God providing financial resources at the craziest ways. We had someone show up, I kid you not, at our house one time and, and paid more money to us for the used car that we were selling because we couldn't make change. They said, why don't you just keep the change? Anybody ever had that before when you're selling a used car, right? And to the, to the penny, to the penny, it was the last installment of the faith promise that we had given. 
for that year. Times where the, the mortgage company has sent us checks in the mail saying we, we, we miscalculated your escrow and almost to the penny it was our faith promise that we had to give. I'm just, if you're willing to have a conversation with God like this, I'm telling you, he will do some things in your life that will cause you and people around you to say, how is that even possible? That's what it means to be Pentecostal. That's what it means. So we're going to sing this song, and we've got these cards up here, and we're going to ask you to come. If you call this your church home, if you're visiting, this isn't for you, but if you call this your church home, that as we sing, you're going to come up, you're going to grab one of these cards as a family, and you're going to go on a, begin a journey with God for the rest of this month, and he's going to give you a number. And then we're going to tally that up. This is, as the governance team, we've been praying for months about this. We've been praying for months, and we feel like the number that God gave to us to believe for as a church between this campus and the Williamsburg campus is by the end of this year, we're going to raise $50,000. Come on. We started out much smaller. The number I gave them was much smaller than that. And, they, and this is what they said. This is why you got a great governance team. Are you kidding me, Fred? Really? a powerful moment because they were saying, what, what, what are you willing to believe God for? What are you willing to believe him for? And it stirred my own faith for our own family and for you and for this church. Oh, that we could do something this year that would cause the rest of the world looking at our little church and say, how on earth did they do that? It's because we believe in Mark 10, 27, that he still does the impossible. There's three choices on here. We wanted to give you some choices how God might speak to your heart. There's missions. There's the building fund. Come on, out of last year's surplus, we had the biggest surplus in the history of the church. Last year, we were able to put $22,000 just about a week or so ago into our building fund, which took it almost to $80,000. Come on, it's powerful. Powerful. It's good. We're being frugal. We're being diligent with surplus money. We're moving these things into those areas, but we believe that God wants to move in your life in some supernatural ways. We want to see that grow even more. Then there's a third one on here that says WMBC. It stands for Williamsburg Campus. There's some renovations that we want to do in that building. So we're going to trust it. It might be that the number that God gives to you, come on, is $1,500. And you might say, you know what? I want to do 500 for each of those categories. It might be that you just pick one. That's, that's between you and God. You're not going to put your name on this. This, it's, you're not going to put your name on this. We don't want to see your name. Don't put your name on this card. You with me? We just want to see numbers. And then we're going to come together over the summer and we're going to share. And, and next week, we're going to have some fun things that we're going to share with you that we're going to do as markers that once we hit $10,000, right, that Christy Rogers is going to shave her head. I just can't believe she's volunteered to do that, right? No, she hasn't. I'm just kidding. But we're going to have some mark. We're going to have some fun with it at the same. God wants us to have a good time. We're going to have some fun with it that each marker, and I'm just telling you, I'm at the $50,000 mark, and you want to come next week to hear what I'm going to do. If, not if it's pledged, right? Because some joker will pledge that, that Warren Matthews will pledge that just that's tomorrow, right? Just to see it happen. Collected money by the end of this year. We're going to talk about what I'm going to commit myself to do. We're going to have fun along the way. So why did we do it tonight? I'm going to invite you to stand as we worship. Why do we do it tonight? Because on these same tables where these cards have been resting, we had these cups. Some sand in it from the James River. What we're saying is that God's going to move in your heart in such a way that you're going to get a vision to see that these tables are not going to be big enough next year for the jars that are going to be on there for the people that wade into those waters. You with me? Come on. I'm just saying. What are you willing to believe God for? What are you willing to believe God for? 
all of the people that we know that need to wade out in the waters of those baptisms on that picnic. Come on, next summer. We shared this verse as we were in that water. I want to share it with you now. That Jesus said, come on, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And what Jesus was saying to that crowd, if you think, if you think that this crowd that's gathered to hear me teach today is exciting, you need to get a bigger vision. What he was saying to them is, this crowd's not big enough for me. That's what he was saying to them. Not because the people that there didn't matter, right? Because we know that Jesus would have come to die if it had only been one person in the world. But there's not just one person in the world. There's thousands, tens of thousands of people on this peninsula who do not know who Christ is. And as much as we love each other in this room, we're saying, hey, because Jesus said it, it's not enough. It's not enough. We want to reach every person that God has put at arm's length with us. And we're saying, get a vision for it in Jesus' name. Come on, as we worship, you come and you get that card.